RPN is not responsible for the views, actions, statements, or opinions of its guests, advertisers, or even its viewers. The information contained in this program is not to be confused with medical or legal advice. An appearance on this platform is not necessarily an endorsement. But as always, we encourage you to do your own research. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone. You're listening to Red Pill 78. As always, my name is Zach Payne, the Corruption Detector, and this is another edition of Red Pill News for Friday Night Livestream. You know, Andrew Breitbart said that politics is downstream from culture, and it's often been said that we are fighting a culture war as much as we're fighting a political battle. And culture encompasses a lot of different areas. My guest tonight is Chad Stewart. He is the author of the Britfield book series. He's also the director of the Britfield Institute. We're going to be talking about the state of education, primarily here in America, but my guest may have some knowledge about other parts of the world as well. If you guys wouldn't mind, do me a favor. Please hit the like button. Uh, If you're over there at pilled.net, please Hit the red pill. Happy New Year to everybody. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas as well. And if you wouldn't mind, please share the show. All right. And if you're just here for the first time, Monday through Thursday at 5 p.m., that is my regular weekly program, Red Pill News. But on Fridays and Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, we have a live interview format. Sit back, relax, and grab your popcorn because we're going to be right back after this. Hey, Patriots. Are you looking for an America First destination for firearms and Second Amendment accessories? Well, visit Psy Tactical, where the American spirit lives, breathes, and dreams personal liberty. Visit shop.psytactical.com. That's S-H-O-P dot S-A-I tactical dot com. At Psy Tactical, we are America first, veteran owned. We continue to defend the Constitution just like you. Our wide range of top-notch firearms and shooting gear is exclusively for the American Patriot. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, we've got you covered. Join our community of freedom-loving Americans. Find everything you need to exercise your Second Amendment rights. Remember, it's shop.sidetactical.com. All firearms must ship to a licensed dealer near you. Restrictions may apply. It's easy to remember, but hard to forget because it's about America and it's about you. Psy Tactical. Stand tall and stand with the brave Americans past and present to ensure your rights shall not be infringed. Visit us today at shop.psytactical.com and remember to use code REDPILLUSA to get 10% off your order. And when you support my sponsors, you support this channel. All right. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. And please join me in welcoming our guest for this evening, one Mr. Chad Stewart. Chad, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. 
Awesome. But thank you so much for being here. Um, when uh, your representative reached out, uh, they told me about your work as an author. But I was looking through your biography before we started here, and you're you're more than just the author of books. Uh, I mean, you're also the director of the Britfield Institute. Uh, you are a man of letters, so to speak. You, you've got uh, quite the employment history. You've worked all over the place. Give me a little bit of background. I mean, how did you get to the point where you're writing children's books and, and you're focusing so heavily on education? Yeah, great question. And I'll just do a quick overview, if that's all right, and then, and then we can pull from any of those threads. But originally from Newport Beach, California, back east um, in Wellesley, Massachusetts, for 16 years, did my undergraduate work in uh, British literature, European history, and then grad went on to postgraduate work and then uh, MBA and then was actually an investment banker, actually worked for three Fortune 100 companies and was an investment banker 12 years ago when when I got the idea for Britfield and the Lost Crown series. And uh, part of it was I just I, I, I grew up in a creative environment in Newport Beach and, I, and, I, and I'm a creative, which I, I think most of us are. And we'll talk quite a bit about that on the show. But I was dying to do something creative and it was down at this boring insurance seminar that I had to take, you know, for like another licensing thing. Yeah. Started to drift, started to doodle, doodle to circle, three lines, a basket, a boy and a girl, and I wrote the boy in the balloon. And that's how this whole thing started 12 years ago. And it's kind of a fun story because it's like from one doodle, 10 years, 10,000 hours to 2019 when we launched Britfield and Lost Crown, book one of a seven book series. Um, there'll be seven major motion pictures. We launched the uh, theatrical play um, earlier this year uh, globally. And uh, really what we have is we say it's more than a book, it's a movement, and it's a movement in literature, education, family values, and literacy. Uh, it took me uh, four years and 2,500 hours to write book one, it takes place in England, present time. Book two was France, launched in 2021, uh, 474 pages, and then book three, which we launched last year, Britfield and the Return of the Prince, 575 pages, takes place in Italy. And I'm now working on Eastern Europe and Russia. Book four, book five will be Asia. Book six will be South America. And then book seven will be United States. Characters, Tom and Sarah, start out at 12, and then they grow one year in every book. And I think what's made these books uh, so extraordinarily popular, if you will, and, and really everything we've done for four to five years has been a soft launch because we're getting ready to go global next year. So your timing's great. We're like literally here on the eve of it, and we're very excited about it. But it's just because, number one, it takes place in present time. We don't use any of those devices like fantasy, witchcraft, uh, vampires, demigods, superheroes, occultism. None of that stuff that's sort of saturating the market, probably 90% right. of it, as you well know. And, um, and, and, and so kids just love these books because they can relate to the characters. They can, they can, they can relate to the places. Um, it's based on family, friendship, loyalty, courage, hope, and faith. Um, as children are reading it, as adults are reading it, they're learning about history, geography, art, architecture, and culture. And we're hitting the four C's, creativity, critical thinking, communication, and collaboration. So all of this is packed in these books, books of intention, if you will. And um, it's just hitting a chord with, with children and students, not just nationally, but globally. We're now selling books um, around the world, which is incredible. And uh, we just ship books to Brazil, to Spain, to New Zealand, uh, to Australia, to Germany, uh, to the Netherlands. Uh, we're selling books in Japan. So it's very exciting. And so um, so this is kind of the Britfield movement, Britfield dynasty, Britfield series. We're in pre-development um, or development right now for the first of seven major motion pictures. And uh, here's the script, which I'll show you a finished movie script, which is great. Actually, it's a third draft. So we're getting ready to move into pre-production uh, early next year in spring. It's kind of funny because I'm just waiting right now. You know, everyone's kind of like 
sleeping or they're just having fun or it's the holidays and I'm like, ah, you know, like, ready to go. And, <laughs> Right. And, uh, and it's funny too. I was, I was talking with my literary agent, Lori, um, yesterday, and because we're doing, we're um, we're finalizing a, a distribution deal for the book series uh, in England, and so I'm very excited about that. And that'll happen, you know, early next year. And then Brit- Britfield Book Series will be distributed all through Britain and Europe, and uh, so we're very excited. But we're we're both the same. She's like, yeah, I'll be working all all week, and she's like. She's like writing letters that she can't send yet because it's like, you know, people just are out or they're right. And especially like in Europe, it's like the whole world takes off that three weeks. It's like, OK, we'll be back January 15th. You know, but um, anyway, so that's kind of the, the series. And and then we started a um, national school tour in 2019 and I drove 9000 miles, visited 23 states, presented to over 200 schools to more than 40,000 students. Uh, incredible. All the way up, you know, to Seattle, all the way off to Chicago, all the way down to New Orleans and all the way up to Memphis, Tennessee. Spent a month just in Texas. And um, part of it was, you know, to launch the series, you know, and get get it out there. But really, um, I always do things like on 10 different levels. And I'm always thinking strategically because really one of my specialties is a global strategist. And so, you know, I was really curious, number one, just to see what, what America was looking like. You know, we read about it, we hear about it, we oh, see yeah. pictures don't know. And and so to have boots on the ground driving miles and, you know, for hours and and uh, visiting all these towns, all these cities, I came to all these different schools. And I mean, everything, Catholic, <clears throat> Christian, private, public, Title One, charter, homeschool farm in Reno, Nevada. Wow. I mean, I saw it all. I mean, libraries, 400 student or auditoriums in Arizona. And I'm um, just phenomenal. I come in an hour early. I was talking to librarian, just trying to trying to, you know, um, talk shop, you know, what's going on in, in the system. Are kids reading a lot? What do they like? What are out there? And then um, I do, I give the presentation and it was very interactive. It was a great PowerPoint where it's like, you know, I had really cool movie trailers and shots from like um, from um, Toy Story and everything. Cause I've talked, I come in as a award-winning author. I talk a little bit about Britfield, but I was really there talking about the importance of creativity mm-hmm. and storytelling. And I also would say, you know, uh, we all have ideas. Sometimes we might have an idea for something we want to do this this weekend. Maybe it's a bigger idea for for this month. And even sometimes we have ideas that of something we want to do when we grow up. Maybe it's a company we want to work for. Maybe it's a company we want to own. And I say, you know, it's great to trust your instinct and to trust those ideas. But sometimes it might take three, five, ten, even twenty years to realize that. Here's my story: going from a doodle to launching. It took me ten years, ten thousand hours, probably two point five million dollars worth of money. Holy geez. personal yeah i mean this is no garage you know and none of those are they're all fake anyway but um and i'm telling that to the kids you know what i mean and, I, and i'm i'm there authentically you know what i mean and you know kids like fourth and fifth they can they can detect it and they know that i'm there and i care about it and i'm sitting there saying you, you we're all born creative you know whether you feel creative or not we're all born creative we're all born individually we all have talent sometimes it just takes a long time to figure out what that talent is and i'm there really to encourage them and then just talk about the importance of creativity and storytelling and i'll, I'll play a really cool star wars trailer um of the, you know uh, i think it was a rise it was at the force awakens or something yeah. full 60 minutes you know, it's just really great so i keep it very active and then i do q a with them at the end and i mean literally it's lit i got i got 30 40 50 hands i'm there for 20 minutes 30 minutes teachers are like part you know saying we're running out of time <laughs> and uh and it's just it's great and i'll be honest i've never had an issue or problem at any one of these schools I didn't have kids that were fidgety or just, you know, inactive or not answering. I mean, not asking questions. It was. And then I do the book signing. And that's where I started getting my information. I'd be talking to every student that'd be combined. What do you think of the presentation? And what do you like? What are you interested in at school? And, you know, how often do you read? And do you like the ebooks? Do you like the hardcover? You know, and, you know, and just all of that. And I just I mean, thousands and thousands of kids 
this is this is my research. This is my white paper. And right. so it was really a, a great way to get my eyes and ears and to the pulse of it. And and because of all those threads or seeds or roots that we planted, we now have wonderful relationships with schools across the nation, librarians, um, teachers, deans, principals. Um, we're being taught in over, you know, in hundreds of schools right now. So Britfield and Lost Crown is literally being taught because it's designed to be taught. You know, in the classroom, we have an 83-page study guide uh, for teachers. So it just makes it really easy, chapter by chapter. So, you, you know, you'll appreciate this. But when Britfield comes in, one of these crap books get knocked out and gets knocked out. I like it. And I then like we're, it. we're in about, we're you know, we're in thousands of schools now and stuff. So uh, our beachhead has always been elementary, middle school, fourth through eighth, if you will, specifically. Um not high school, nothing else. And, um, and the schools have always been, you know, at the, at the, at the heart of everything we do. So. Well, it, it would seem that you are well primed to kind of enter the market specifically at this juncture, because there is so much controversy surrounding what is being taught in schools. And, you know, sure. I, I guess I would wonder, you know, I mean, have you gotten any pushback from the administration or, or from teachers and stuff? Because it seems like the things that they're pushing on children, it's sexualized or it's overly adult. I mean, it's the sure. exact opposite of what you're trying to teach through your work. I think it's definitely a, a problem, as we've all been made aware of, because I know your audience is smart mm. and aware. And and again, but it's but I think you're dealing with, you know, probably 70, 80 percent of just good teachers uh, okay. that are fighting the good fight or just or just want to teach. You know what I mean? And they're kind of stuck in the mire of it. And we'll talk about what's happening in education, you know, in a minute. But I, I honestly um, didn't. But I did have a team that was taking care of it and booking schools. And it was a lot harder than you think because it didn't cost the school anything. So you bring in this, you know, award winning author, you know, great you know, background in education there to talk about, you know, storytelling and creativity, but that's like a dream for teachers. And it was like, I just remember in um, Washington, they, they contacted and we had kind of specific schools and certain, you know, we don't want all little 15 house, you know, cause it, that doesn't work. So, so I think we contacted like 60 schools and ended up booking seven just in Washington. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then sometimes it's like, well, we've got to go through, like, especially on the public system, we got to th- go through our bureaucracy and we got, you know, I'm like, see ya. You know, it's just like, I'll be long gone by then. Um, but I didn't have any kind of direct, direct problems, but it was, it was a lot harder than you would think, you know what I mean? About getting something like that in there. But I tell you, the schools that we did was phenomenal and, and they got it and they were supportive and it was exciting. I mean, there's one school that I went to in Las Vegas and it was so cool. They were like, I walked in and there was like a big poster, you know, because we'd send them posters, but it was a big like announcement, Mr. Stewart. And it had this clock that was, had been ticking down for like two weeks is coming. And I thought, man, that's cool. You know, that it's cool. like, that's more like it. Yeah. You know, we make a big thing out of it and stuff. And, um, and so it was cool. You know, the teachers, the teachers appreciated it. And uh, the schools that we hit were great. There was one, one in um, Missoula, Montana. I think Missoula, Montana, Montana, and a small little Christian school, you know, and I don't normally do like really small schools. It was like, it was really like a room of like 25, 30 students. Um, Cause it takes a lot of time. You know, I'm driving, I'm on the road. It's like a four hour event. Cause I got to drive out there, set everything up. So whether it's 400 students or 40, it's the same presentation, the same energy, the same professionalism. Um, but they were just awesome. And it's like every single teacher, you know, bought a hardcover book. And I just so appreciated that kind of support. You know, they knew I wasn't going to sell like a lot of books and I, and it was cool. I was just like that kind of like, even though I might've sold 15 books there that it was worth it. You know what I mean? Like that school was great. I remember that versus going to these prestigious private schools. And it's like, they didn't really promote it very well. And it's just like, you know, hello, like, it's like, I could just charge you $2,500 for being here. So, um, (laughs) yeah, but anyway, to answer your question in a long winded way, 
Um, I didn't, but I'm very aware of what's going on out there in the in the system. And it's uh, we can talk about that. I, as I've said before, you know, on, on interviews, I think right now we're in an educational reformation, mm-hmm. um, like the, the likes we've never seen in, in, in the United States or globally, which is a good thing. Much like Martin Luther 500 years ago, I think the line's been drawn. Um, we've, we've, you know, the die's been cast. And so you're seeing the last days of this tyrannical, socialistic, let's call it communistic, educational system based on an industrial model from the 19th century to kill creativity and not creativity out of the classroom and teach things that are irrelevant and teach little robots and group think and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's failing and it's, and the ship is leaking quickly. And this stuff might kick on as they always do for another, it's like the last days of like Nazi, Nazi Germany. I always like to say that, but you know, the war, the the war for Germany was over 1941, Mm -hmm. early 42. It was over. And, uh, and they knew it. And the guys that were behind the scenes knew it. And somehow it kicked on for like another two and a half, three years. You know what I mean? It's like a scorched earth policy. So you might see some of that. You're going to see, you're going to see the little rats trying to save their little possessions and stuff, the unions and all that kind of stuff. But it's, in my opinion, it's over. You know what I mean? So it might kick on for three, five, 10 years. We're in a, we're in a homeschool revolution. We've gone from 5 million to almost 20 million homeschooled kids wow. last three years. Those are some real numbers. And I'll That's tell you huge. this and then, and then we can go on, but so there I am in Memphis, Tennessee, just did four schools back to back Monday, Tuesday. And I was excited because I was finally in the heartland of America. You know, I mean, really, I'm like Indiana and, and uh, Ohio would have been a lot of fun. Michigan would have been great. I couldn't wait to get back to New England. And this whole thing happened, uh, you know, in March 2020. And so I literally like like schools were canceling and I had to like turn around, drive all the way back to San Diego, which is no easy trip. And um, I was saying to myself. When I got back and I was talking to friends, I said, you know, it'd be very interesting to see how many kids uh, or parents will send their kids back to school when this whole nonsense is over. Because I immediately. Um... Intelligent, common sense friends. This whole thing is a crock of you know what. Um, but I said, it's based on three things. Number one, for the first time, parents would, would be horrified by what their kids were learning in school. I mean, just aghast. I mean, as young as three to four to five, this, you're being exposed to this. Are you talking about this type of subject? Um, number two, how far behind their their, their kids were there's, uh, the, in, in certain subjects that were just, I mean, like you're, you're reading at this level, you're still struggling with this. And number three, how much work they could get done in a concentrated couple of hours and have the rest of the day to, I don't know, grow up at 10 years old, you mm-hmm. know, and, and not be stuck in a 40 hour a week institution where your only qualification to be in that class is that you're 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, I started within 12 months, I started seeing statistics that saying between 20 to 30 percent of parents aren't sending their kids back to traditional school. That's, that's a revelation. That's a, that's a revolution. Um, that's a reformation. I mean, that's millions and millions and millions of kids that have been pulled from this system. And trust me, these things are held together with scotch tape and glue. Mm-hmm. And when you suddenly have, when you, when you're packing 40 kids in a classroom where you have a certain, you know, head count and you get certain dollar amount per, per kid and all of a sudden you're down to like 25, that's a big deal, you know? And Definitely. so, um, so for me, it's exciting. It, I, it's exciting. Just in California, we have over a thousand charter schools, you know, not that that's the wind all, but it's a different model and it's a more effective model. And then you just have homeschool co-ops and groups and, and synergy and, and cross, you know, and this and that. And it's just, it's amazing. And I love homeschoolers. And I think the best 
well-educated kids I've ever met are homeschoolers. I absolutely agree. I mean, anybody that I've ever met that was homeschooled was uh, much further along than what was going on in public school. Even me going from Catholic school to public school, I was like a year, year and a half ahead of everybody once I got there. It was a completely different type of environment. And, you know, I I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it is a major positive move, not only for these families and these children, but I think for the, the state of the nation as a whole, because public education is not really built around educating per se uh, as it is built around, I don't know, brainwashing and, and, and just sure. pu- pumping yeah. out another useless feeder that's going to pay into the tax system and just trust whatever it is the government is telling you. No, and it's been a very effective model for the enemy, you know, and it's and they're always sly about it. And uh, it's been a slow burn. Yes. And that's why you're starting to see stuff like right now. It's like the lights on, the curtain's been pulled, the enemy's cornered. So what are you seeing? You're seeing you're seeing the stuff being taught in a in a in a you know, kindergarten or 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 third grade. Yeah. Are are you out of your mind? You know, teachers teaching this stuff, I mean, they should be ripped by their by their hair and yanked out of that classroom. And they will be. Mm-hmm. Everyone that's been involved in this, I've said before, you will be dealt with. Trust me. No one's walking from this. Yeah. yeah. But um yeah, it is. It's been a consolidated effort. I got some some stats, and I've said it before on programs. If you wanted to go over it, but please, it's been a consolidated effort. And see, the thing about creativity is at the core of all of it. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, engineering that's noble, but most of it's already been offshored. And they know that technology and AI is going to replace anywhere from sixty to eighty percent of engineering within the next five to ten years. It's just a fact. So, yeah. by all means, push the degrees. Go to an overinflated, you know, university. Spend be in debt for what. Uh, almost a half a million now. I don't, I, I've lost track of how expensive it is to get a piece of paper at these schools, um, and then get on to your master's degree, and then and then have an engineering degree that's useless by the time you get to it. And they know that. That's why they push it. Accounting. Eighty percent of accounting jobs will be obsolete in the next five to se- se- seven years mm-hmm. because of AI and technology. Um, Forty to fifty percent of all media jobs. Forty to fifty percent of all medical jobs. I mean. You know this whole medical doctor stuff, which is a whole other ball game and nonsense. Um, but the one thing that it, it cannot replace is creativity, and creativity mm-hmm. is at the core of everything. Creativity is at the core of engineering. Creativity is at the core of mathematics. It's at the core of of invention, of entrepreneurship, of everything. And that's why it is so important. They say the new MBA is the MFA. And I was doing an interview with this one woman with a background in business, and she used to do these graduate schools. And she said, uh, entrepreneur graduate schools. She said. There were there were something like like seventy percent more successful entrepreneurs that came from the MFA program hmm. than the M- MBA program, and I just thought that not only is that fascinating, but it doesn't actually surprise me. Plus, I'm working my own PhD now, and I do I've been doing my own research, um, you know, with some very prestigious, um, you know, professors and stuff. And and uh, one of the assignments a couple of years ago was to interview um, all our top alumni from from the college. And they're they're everywhere. They're all over the world, but they're they're in every field you can imagine. And so I literally picked thirty of them, and I interviewed them, and I call them and I and I do questions and stuff. And I didn't I didn't have any um, direct. Um, I wasn't trying to get them somewhere. If that makes sense, I was just I was just asking them general questions, and I, I was really trying to find out what's what are the most important skills in today's uh, society. Do you know what number one was? And I, I wasn't planning this. Number one was creativity. Wow. Number two was was storytelling. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Whether it was a nonprofit, a consulting firm, and that didn't surprise me because I, I'm, I'm really into marketing and marketing is storytelling. Everything we do. So I'm telling these kids as I'm, as I'm, I'm in front of like 300 fourth through eighth graders. I'm saying you might not be interested in writing, 
but you should be interested in storytelling because storytelling is one of the most important skills that you use for the rest of your life. You know, whether you're trying to get a job, guess what? You're telling a story. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, your resume, that's a story. You know, the difference between you and 100 candidates for this job is how well you tell your story. You it's know, true. how compelling you are. And whatever field you go into, you're, you're telling a story. I mean, even doctors are storytellers. You know what I mean? They're telling you, you know, what what the symptoms are, what you have or what you should do. You know what I mean? And it's how they articulate that and how they put that together is the difference between you like going, see ya or maybe, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, a, a lawyer, you know, he's telling a story of like the, you know, situation you're in, his his train of thought, the course of action. Do you know what I mean? That's storytelling. Absolutely. And so, yeah. And so anyway, um, I, I don't want to go off here, here, but it's, um, it's exciting. And so that's, we understand the importance of it. We don't just don't think of it in sort of a, um, a fluffy way, but we know, we know the core of creativity, how important it is. We know statistics out there that, that uh, with music and people that play a musical instrument and read music are actually desired five to one, if not 10 to one over candidates from any other field. Uh, and these are some of the top uh, Fortune 500 companies because they know people that can play a musical instrument and can read music are not only creative, but they're better managers, they're better under crisis, they're better leaders, um, they're better um, um, troubleshooters, and they can adjust and, and, and change trajectories, you know, when, when things happen. Because right now, at the high-paced pa- high speed that we are as a nation and even globally, things are changing in three months, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the invention or breakthrough that you thought was incredible in Silicon Valley was already discovered, you know, two weeks ago in, in, in Taiwan and will be obsolete in six months. You know, it's that kind of stuff. And so you need people that can think on their feet and can adjust and not go, oh, my gosh, hold on. I just know this narrow set of things. Right. And what does this have to do with the SAT score? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I did very well on that test. You know what I mean? And it's like you need people that are fast and nimble and quick and flexible. You need good communication. That was the third most important skill. Creativity, storytelling, and communication. You need communicators. Wow. You need people that ask good questions, that listen, and are good communicators. You got those three skills, you can rule the world. You can build You can build an empire. You know, there's anything you can do. It's so true. Uh, so you said that this journey to publish the book, you know, took you 10 years or so. Uh, had you been working on kind of the expansion of this Britfield world since the beginning? Or, I mean, because I'm, I'm amazed that you already have a film in the works. And I'm also wondering... You know, uh, what is the process by which you're producing that? Because largely the arts and entertainment world has been infected with that same sort of communist, you know, radical leftism that we see in politics and in other parts of the country. So what's uh, tell me about those things? Yeah, we built um, I knew what we were getting into over 12 years ago, um, and I've been I've been relearning history for 12 years, um, uh, as a lot of you have. Right. And, mm-hmm. and just when you think, you know, everything. And so I, I'm very aware with what's going on, who's behind the curtains and the, and, and the puppet masters, if you will. So we have built a very um, in-depth, solid infrastructure. We've got an extraordinary team. Um, really, in my opinion, like the publishing industry is irrelevant. We're working outside the publishing industry and we're redefining the publishing industry. And we're mm-hmm. doing that with the Britfield series. I believe not only with the Britfield series outsell Harry Potter in 10 years, I believe it's going to be the the best-selling children's book in history wow. for all the reasons. And we're already seeing the numbers are there. The feedback is there. The, the numbers, we're in the top 1% of all books published within the same time frame, and we haven't even released any press releases on the movie. Starting next year, buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> you know, global phenomenon. Um, so, yeah, and then with the, um, with the, with the film industry, which I've been studying for like 30 years, and I was actually a scriptwriter before I was a novelist. And hmm. so... Thank goodness, because that helped me be an articulate story. And right. that's why 90% of the people that read Britfield 
see it reads like a movie. I didn't try to do that. And I, when I was writing book one, the novel, you know, the children's book, 384 pages, I wasn't thinking, okay, good. I know the three-act structure. You know what I mean? I know economy of words. I know starting on the action, leaving on the action, tight sentences. I wasn't thinking that, but I was just so well-trained in that, that my sentences were were, were fast moving. The, the action was fast moving and I just kind of moved the whole story and stuff. Um so yeah, so with the industry, it's interesting too because I mean, how's it going for Disney? Oh, oh my gosh. god, tank, they are tank, yeah. disastrous. <laughs> yeah, tank tanking tanking faster than you can blink. Um, 45 percent down in in, um, in their retail, and then the the last movie, their all four movies, last four movies have been disasters mm-hmm. because it's crap. Yeah, um, all these superhero things, crap. The last, um, not Aquaman, but I think that one's that one's starting to to, to sink. Oh no, yeah, no pun yeah. intended. I think, I think the, the one before that, yeah, Guardians, the one before that, Guardians of the Galaxy three was the last semi successful Disney movie yeah. that came out from Marvel. But yeah, everything else has hit way below projections. It's it's a disaster. I mean, uh, do, do you think that there is a possibility that these film studios are going to recognize that? the product they're pushing out is garbage and that they need to change it? Or are they hoping that he, that people are going to change and that we're finally going to start saying, Oh, Hey, yeah. please feed me this woke garbage. Beautiful, beautifully. Well, well questioned and put number one, Hollywood's very existence exists to change the personality and, and thought process of, of America and globally. You yes. know that yes. we know who runs it. We don't need to go in all those details and who gives them, who, who's whose agents are on each set for certain things absolutely they want to tell their story it's all propaganda it's all crap um so the whole industry really exists and i know now that's not to say that everyone in the industry of course not you mm-hmm. know what i mean there's just great lighting guys and tech guys and actors that are just trying to make a buck you sure. know what i mean and love the industry we all you know i love the sound of music i love the great escape i love the first star wars movies this stuff inspired the heck out of me yep um, so in and of itself, the art form is beautiful. They've tarnished it. They've tanked it. They've made a disaster of it. Um, so number one, that it exists for that reason and that reason only. It's not to say that a lot of things are happening. We are really in the era of the independent movies. Mm-hmm. The old Hollywood is done. The thing that people have to understand is Hollywood has been bankrupt for decades. Bankrupt. And they're not making any money. Mm-hmm. You know, you have an occasional Barbie movie, but you can't, you can't, Disney can't, um, can't withstand four major 200 300 million dollar box office failures mm-hmm. a billion dollars and fa- i mean you just can't you can't you can't um you can't you know move from that point is is people have to understand for every for every um a movie has to make between four to five times its budget to break even right and start making profit so when you see a movie that's made for 100 million you're like oh my gosh it did 150 that's fantastic it did 200 million now um because they already for a hundred million dollar movie, they probably already put in another eighty to a hundred million dollars in marketing, which they call right. PA print and advertising. So now you have two hundred million dollar budget. The theaters take between fifty to fifty-five percent of all that. The distributor takes another ten to fifteen percent. You got back end points depending on actors of three to five to ten percent. And so it's just like, you know, like you have this little widget left when you're done with it. So like a hundred million dollar movie needs to make four hundred, you know, to five hundred million dollars at the box office. Now I know there's you know, things after that. And then there's the down, you know, the, the DVDs and streaming and all that kind of stuff. But it's just like the big powerhouses from the box office. And so they're just, they're just tanking um, left and right. So, um, so it is an era of independent uh, film filmmakers. It has been for a while. The old Hollywood is dead. It's, they're, they're not needed. They're, they're, they're irrelevant. Uh, we will be doing it independently, but using a major distributor 
for the film. Why wouldn't they? Um, but your question is, <clears throat> will they change? I think things are happening in Hollywood right now. Um, behind the scenes, I think a lot is changing. A lot's been exposed. I think a lot of people that you think are still active aren't active. Um, a lot of stuff's being cleaned up. They are trying so hard to shove this crap down our face mm -hmm. uh, because they think if they, it's like if you tell a lie long enough and big enough, you know, people accept it. And so it's the kind of same concept. You keep introducing these things like on Netflix and their shows. I don't even watch Netflix anymore. Yeah. I see that little N on it. I know it's crap, period. They, they, they physically don't have the capability of putting together good, a good program anymore because mm -hmm. they just can't help themselves. And they got the crap in there and they got their agenda. Yep. Um, and so, you know, little by little, they're, they're all they're all failing. You have to understand that, that we're not a divided nation. Um, we're an awake nation. We've, we're in an era right now that we've never been more awake to the truth. We're questioning things. And at the end of the day, we just care about, you know, a decent job, our family and our kids. You know what I mean? And we mm -hmm. don't have time to be fiddling around with this. But we don't accept it. We don't want this crap. It's not working. It never will work because it's disgusting. It's vile and it's unnatural. And it's ungodly. Absolutely. And so it will never stick as hard as they try to stick it and shove it. And now tell you something, we're starting to shove it back in their face now. And there's there, this, there's an awakening happening and it's exciting. So I mm. think this is, um, I've heard it before, like the, we're in a renaissance right now. We're mm. in a creative revolution. Um, and we're, we're, we're at the beginning of, uh, we're at the end of the beginning of, of seeing all this crap fade away, you know, not entirely, but um a whole nother era because people are starving right now for just good content. Yes. Good family content. I think I didn't see Barbie. I've had lots of friends that saw it. My only concept behind it was just that the only reason it did so well, because it was Barbie less than adequate. It was less than <laughs> adequate. Yeah. yeah. It was number one. It was a huge brand. Yeah. Number three, two, it had a obviously great marketing campaign, but number three, Parents just needed something to take their kids to in the summer. You know what I mean? Literally, I mean, like, you know, they can't even the parents were getting a bit weary of the Avenger movies and, and the stuff that was happening. There was just nothing out there. And I think that's the only reason it did well. But you start producing really good quality content movies. Um, and it's like, you know, you can name your price, you know, it's like build it and they'll come. That's probably the only time it will ever happen. But make a great, a great movie, a great television series. And people will find it and people will come and they'll watch it and they'll love it. Because, you know, 85, 90% of the, of the population globally, that's the stuff they want. They want clean content. They want to be inspired. They're sick of this crap. They're sick of the stuff. So, so yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned that we're in the area of uh, independent filmmaking. But people are primed, like they're almost conditioned to seek out content on a platform or in a particular venue. Uh, so do you foresee perhaps a uh, the rising of a, a new Hollywood, if you will? I mean, like uh, perhaps, yeah. you know, set up in Georgia or in Tennessee, someplace else outside of California, but something that yeah, would yeah, centralize the, the creativity. You're already seeing that um, all over. You're seeing they, they call Canada Hollywood North. But no, you're seeing a lot of um, I mean, in the back of my mind, you know, we'll, we'll be developing our own production house too because it's like set aside from the Britfield films we, we're working on two television programs right now but there I, I can't wait to work with creatives and and have great content and so I'm not a Netflix fan I was for a while because I loved the model I love the fact that oh sure um like I mean the audacity of like when, when there was a blockbuster the audacity to be ordering movies to be mailed to you like and somehow they kind of weathered that and it worked and you know I'd get three or five at a time and then all of a sudden they started the streaming thing and then all of a sudden it's like Wait a second! You're starting your own um, production house. You can't do that. You're a video store. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I remember that with House of Cards. Oh yeah. And it's like, 
wait a second, you can't release it all at once and have people binge watch it. And it's like, so I love how they like broke all the rules. And I'm saying at the end of the day, like that's, and again, too, it's not the lone guy. And I, I, I know the whole story behind it. And I visited that up there and we had alum, alumni that were connected to them and stuff like that. And it's always the story they tell you on the, on the surface, you know, the guy that kind of started with an idea. No, no, no. It's a major multi-billion dollar undertaking. But mm-hmm. with that said, I mean, I see a lot. I see a lot of new Netflix types of models coming out there. Everything's online now. That that's just the thing. Like you don't need Hollywood. It's almost like with the digital camera, the red cameras. You know, it used to be that you have to get the big clunky, you know, sixteen millimeter. Or, right, right. Um, Giant lenses and such. You know, yeah, and these expensive equipment and filming and then editing and it's just like you're seeing some incredible content come out from from sixteen year olds. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like like three or four, five minute little videos and stuff. I mean, it's just like, you know. You can you can shoot a movie anywhere. You don't need to be in Hollywood. You can shoot it anywhere in the world. You can shoot it. Uh, you can shoot a whole phenomenal story or series just in a house or a couple rooms with great characters and incredible development and, and character arc. You know, I mean, you could do anything you want to do, and you're going to see a lot of that. And you're going to see a lot of content. You know, YouTube, and all of a sudden they start kicking everybody off, and what happens? Yep. Whole another round of other things come out there. And it's like I don't I, YouTube what? You know yeah. what I mean? It's like yeah, keep peddling your crap. You know, and or or pushing everybody of, of quality off. It's like good luck. See how that works. Yeah. And so you're always going to see that for every for every sort of thing you crush, you know, five more will pop up. You know, there's that great line in uh, Casablanca, one of the best movies ever, classic. And the guy was, you know, threatening um, uh, Laszlo and said, you know, you kill me and a thousand will rise up tomorrow to take my place. And I just right. love that line. I mean, it's true. You know what I mean? You can't kill that spirit, that godly spirit. So um, I do. I see. I I, I not only think it i know and i see it happening already i see i see so many people working on independent films right now working on series um lots of things happening in georgia as you mentioned and all over uh, north carolina things like that studios that are there credible tax credits things that are even happening in north dakota i was talking to somebody last week and they're like if you want to film up here we got a great you know this and that um so just there's stuff that is happening all over and i say all of this to encourage people but you know Honestly, at the end of the day, anything of quality takes time. Don't slap something together and hope it sticks. You know, hire the right people, hire the right writers and directors and actors and stuff. And I great, I get that you're creative, but you don't need to be the writer, the director, and the actor of the thing. You, right. know, you don't need to be all things. It'll come. You know, for the film, I'm not. What am I doing? Am I directing it? Are you kidding me? I'm not a director. You know, it's like I'm going to hire the best director I can possibly get for it. I'm going to hire the best actors I can possibly get to it. You know why? Because the story is what matters, not me, not the person that wrote it or that's behind it, you know. And so do that same thing with your productions, whether it's a television series, whether it's a movie, whether it's a short, whether it's a documentary. You know, documentaries isn't rolling a camera. It's great storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's a three-act structure. So don't get off that narrative. I remember going on a – it's right when I think I first had Netflix – like 10 years ago and I went on a documentary binge. Oh yeah. And I watched like I watched like 100 of them. And I'll be honest out of 100 of them there were 5 that were of, of good quality. Right. And the rest were just, you know, garbage, yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> they just had to fill up the space. That's all they needed. Yeah, like so. I mean, rolling the camera and yeah. okay, we're going to go knock on this door and talk to this person. I mean, somehow quality and storytelling went out the door because it's a documentary? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Documentary should be like a high high a fast-paced action movie but a documentary. Think that way, you know? 
So the reason I love what you're doing here, Chad, is because I feel like the creative world was kind of uh, abandoned by conservatives for a while. I mean, the, uh, there was just this kind of consensus that Hollywood is run by elite pedophiles and, you know, sick Satanists. And, and so why do we even want to have anything to do with it? We're just going to forego any sort of, uh, you know, creative programming, anything that's just entertainment. We've got so many problems in the world. We've got to fix this stuff before we can have any fun. But I mean, I'm I've always been a creative person myself. I mean, it's one of the reasons that I I do the show. It's about so much more than just bringing information. You know, you have to make it entertaining. These are dark subjects quite often that we're dealing with. And I I just hated the idea that we had abandoned that world to the people who are running Hollywood. You know, I mean, right now. Can you hear me? Testing, testing. No, I can. Yeah, you, I lost you okay. for one second. Okay, all right. So, something's going on with my microphone. I don't know, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for the escapism of uh, of a good story, of a, a good book, a good movie, you know, even a good TV show. Sitting back and just sure. kind of you know turning your brain off, um, and uh, and so I, I really appreciate it. My question is, you know, where does the Britfield Institute come into this larger plan that you're working on in terms of this creative world? Yeah, and I want to say I'll answer that. I want to say one thing because I love what you're saying. And, and it's like that's why I was trying to say don't attack the the, the art of filmmaking because filmmaking is is beautiful. Right. I mean, it's or can be, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like painting. There's some glorious, beautiful paintings out there through the history of painting. And there's some stuff that's just horrific and they call it postmodern. Right. Yes. I mean, it's just crap. It's someone just pain up there i'm sorry but it's crap and um you know same thing with films it's like you know of course the the demons out there are going to take it and twist it and bend it and, and get their agenda but there's some great movies that we've all been inspired for mm-hmm. uh, or by and um that's a, and let's let's take that art form back let's take let's take back the seven pillars you know let's take it all back um but yeah so the institute's interesting that's that's our um that's sort of our nonprofit arm and our real focus with the institute is bringing creativity back into the classroom our main focus with that is um, focused on Title I schools, specifically, you know, elementary and middle schools, schools that um, that, that are struggling or students that, that don't have everything that they need. And so our, our focus is to provide resources, books. Um, we have some incredible things for it, like writing workshops. We've already done some some really cool writing. I've done writing workshops um, for one hour, for three hours, for five hours, you know, coming in and and, you know, taking a concept into a book. We have marketing classes. How cool is that? We have an entrepreneur class. We have, um, you know, and I love this idea of entre- like like building your own company and 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 working with twelve to fourteen year olds on that, right? No, no, no. Let's wait until they're they're what twenty two in an MBA program. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they yeah. should already be five years into their own company by then. It's too you know, late it's by whole... the time they're adults. They, they you need to be yeah. able to learn this stuff so that you can fully grasp it by the time that you're going to put it. Kids in are yeah, kids are amazing at eleven. I mean, at, at eight, nine, ten, eleven years old. I was thinking about that today because I knew we were going to be talking, and it's just like I was remembering the impact and stuff that stuck. You know, when I was in fourth and fifth and sixth grade, that is still influencing me today. And it's really just by by having the exposure to it, by having the opportunity whether it's planting a garden, you know, as a group in a schoolroom to writing my first book in sixth grade that at the time daunting, you know, I'd rather take the F <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> had to do it. You know what I mean? And because <laughs> I did it because I, I, I pulled what was inside of me, you know, 40 years later, we're launching a, you know, global, you know, business, you know, and, 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 books and movies and, and television stuff. So, so the Institute is exciting. I mean, really we're, we're the ones that are funding it. 
Um, and I, I kind of made that deal with myself, you know, that, you know, I don't really care. I'll, I'll just fund it. You know what I mean? It's like you go out there and you're trying to get funding and this and that. It's like, forget it. You know what I mean? We'll just fund it ourselves. And, um, you know, it's just it's just a school at a time. You know, it's a student at a time. It's a it's a it's a classroom at a time. It's a teacher at a time. And and that's how you work. You know what I mean? It's like they say when you're eating an elephant, you don't eat it all at once. It's a bite at a time. You know? <laughs> that's right. A journey of a, a journey of a thousand miles. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just like, oh, my gosh, a thousand miles. No, you just take it you know, step at a time. You know, and they often say the hardest part of the journey is getting out the front gate. I like that. But it's just, you know, that's what I do. You, you get up every day and you see as far as you can. And then when you in and you can't see any farther than you can see. And then once you get to that distance, you'll be able to see farther and you just keep walking at it. And that's what we're doing. You know, every every day we're selling thousands of Britfield books across the nation. That's exciting because because every child that's reading this book is getting good, clean content. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They're not learning about black magic and witchcraft. Um, they're not desiring to be to be a flying vampire mm -hmm. or a superhero. See, these books are designed for a couple of things. One is to disconnect kids from reality. And number two, it's to make them feel less than they are. And that's what it's doing on a conscious and subconscious level. If I was only a superhero, you know what I mean? If I only had a cape, if I only had magical powers. Why? You do. You're born amazingly. You know, every child is born with talent and creativity. All of them, you know, and it's just it's having the right environment for that to flourish, the right opportunities. And so that's what we're trying to do with the Institute is at least bring some of these opportunities to the students. And um, and we've already done a lot of that. So, well, that's great. What would you say is the the ultimate message behind the books themselves? What's the the overarching theme? Family was the number one theme of of these um, books, and it's it's the importance of family, the foundation of family, and it's not just by birth or blood. You know what I mean? Because you have friends that are that are that, that you have better family bonds with, or you would consider family, mm -hmm. or that would take a bullet for you, and then perhaps some of your relatives. But that is the theme through all these stories, just family, the importance of family. And then built on that is friendship and courage and hope <laughs> and faith. So, well, and, and, you know, also the focus on history, I think that's pretty important because obviously, you know, the old saying, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And uh, yeah. I, I, obviously there's a lot of revisionism that's gone on in the classroom yes. in terms of what's happened throughout history. And, you know, right now we're in this kind of Cold War 2.0 with Russia. I feel like it's manufactured. Uh, and yep. I, I remember as a child learning that we fought alongside Russia in World War II. We were allies with them against the Nazis. Uh, and, uh, and and I, I had really felt that we had moved to a, a different phase in terms of our international relations. And then, of course, the, the left comes out and we need this boogeyman because, you know, yes. nobody, nobody cares about terrorism anymore. Uh, so now we've got to go back to Russians or it's the uh, American yeah. patriot. Russia, that's Russia, the Russia. Threat. Yeah. Russia, Russia, Russia. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Russia, 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 Russia. Yeah. Again with Russia. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, no, history is a huge part of it. I was I was a British literature major, European history. I'm a, I'm a historian, really. I've, I've, I've read so many biographies. I love biographies. Those are the things I read. Taking in people's lives, leader, leaders, you know, everything from Peter the Great, you know, the Catherine the Great. Uh, to Russian history. So I've read a lot of that, been over there, I've traveled there. Um, so yeah, so all of that is in the Britfield books, which is pretty cool because it's like, if I, if I sell it like a 12 year old, it's like, it has history in it too. They're like, Oh, I'm not interested. <laughs> all right. But it's like, we like to call it stealth education. And so we tie that in all this great history, like with Britain and, and the Royal history there and then France and then uh, Italy, you know, Italy is just fantastic, you know, because there's like three major places it goes like there's Florence, there's Rome, and there's Venice, and each one has its own story and architecture and renaissance and artwork and museums, and all of it's in the book. I tie all that into this fast-paced story. It's very difficult, hard, 
Um, you know, I remember when I was writing book, book one, you know, because it's like you want to get all that in there and it's like they're flying over the Midlands and I'm like, and, and you know, that's where Shakespeare lived. And then I have a paragraph on Shakespeare and then I'm reading the book and I'm like, it has nothing to do with the story, you know? So I'm cutting that down to like, you know, four lines and then I'm reading through it. And I'm like, still doesn't have anything to do with the story. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's, I get it in there, but I don't, I don't saturate it, you know, and, and, and I tease it. And it's really cool because it's like, it, it, if, if parents, I know so many parents now that are, their kids are reading this, these books like, like wildfire. Um, I had a feedback from a best-selling author, um, his daughter who loves like Britfield's her favorite book series, which to me is amazing. Cause she's read them all. She's read book one, five times. She's wow. read book two times. She read book three, seven times, <laughs> but I'm getting feedback from parents all the time. And it's like, the kids are reading it. Now the parents are reading the story so they can talk about it. And it's great because we have a award-winning website with over 400 pictures of England. We have interactive maps, over hundred pages of information. The website's meant to complement it. So it's like, you know, if you want more, you can go, you can go get it. And so we're like, we're planting those seeds, but we're giving you enough little history, little architecture, a little bit of art, you know, some literature, some culture. We're putting all that in there, geography, uh, maps, accuracy, everything in these books is as authentic as it can be set aside, obviously from this fictional narrative of Britfield. Mm-hmm. And I've even had friends, adults that have read it and said, are the Britfields real? <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> well, what is Britfield? What, what, what is it? So Brit- Britfield is, is uh, I'll, give a, I'll give a little hint away. So it's Britfield and the Lost Crown, right? And so so what is the Lost Crown? And that's a sense of royalty, something about lost royalty. And so the Brit- the Britfields are actually the the real royal heirs to the British throne. Oh. And everything everything that dynasty represented was really giving power to the people, education, land, not taxation, not oppression, not tyranny, like pretty much every monarch in history has done, um, you know, suck the marrow out of, out of the people. And then if they don't like it, then, you know, imprison them or, or kill them. Yeah. And so, um, and so dynasty after dynasty, like, the, like the uh, Tudors and then the Stuarts and then the Windsors have usurped that. And so there's a great thread and story that goes all the way through this with real history, if you will. Um, and yet the very story is true if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tom, you know, the, our, our lead orphan, 12 years old in book one, and how has he tied in with Britfield and stuff? So imagine being an orphan your whole life. Oh, cool. Book one takes place. It starts up in Yorkshire, Northern England. It starts at Weatherly Orphanage. Tom's been there for six years. This is year he's going to escape. And before he escapes with his best friend, Sarah, he learns that his parents might still be alive. Can you imagine that? So wow. it's just this high octane, fast paced story and adventure and just builds and builds and builds. And then book two in France, and you'll appreciate book two because then I start getting into a lot of the stuff that's happening right now mm-hmm. and stuff that's happening behind the scenes, the committee and um, club of Rome mm-hmm. and, and um, all of those things, you know, organizations and uh, secret societies and all of that. And I don't, I don't put it in there. It, it fits in there. Sure. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's a wonderful little thread and narrative. And I've been talking like 13 year olds that have read it and they're like, they're awake. You know what I mean? They're like, they're like, I wonder if the committee like is running this whole show and stuff. And I'm like, you're getting it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so whether they get it or they don't, it doesn't matter, but it's, it's subconsciously they are. Mm-hmm. And they're learning about, you know, what nonprofits are and, and all these fake things like the, you know, I won't go into it, but all those organizations <laughs> out there that are, that are asking for the money and help support this and help support that. And it's just like, not a dime that you've sent them is going to anything but their pockets. And so that's threaded in. And um, we get into um, D-Wave computers. We get into one world um, currency, mm-hmm. um, digital currency. People read book two when it came out a couple of years ago. And they, they're looking at me and they said, what are you, prophetic? 
<laughs> I said, no, I just, I just do my research. You know yeah. what I mean? I just, that's all I'm doing because they, they plan stuff 25, 50, hundred years ahead of it. Certainly. We know that technology that exists right now that we're, that we're seeing is about 50 to hundred years behind yep. what they already have. Yep. And so they're rolling it out slowly and stuff. And so we, I, re- I research, I read their stuff. And so all of this stuff, it's, it's kind of fun. So if you want to know what's going to happen, read my books. <laughs> you know, because it's like <laughs> it's where they're headed. And when they have a plan, they're going to do everything they can they can do to to see it through and stuff. That's the one thing about it too. It's like, um, but yeah, so it's it's kind of cool. That's like a, an extra caveat that's been coming through it, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I like it. Uh, but by book three or four, is there going to be a WEF subplot, World Economic Forum? <laughs> Oh no! It's in book four. It's, it's okay. It's in book four. I figured that makes it sense. It literally is. It's called something different. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but actually, what it is, and, it's, and it's, it's one of the coolest scenes. Everything is current time, present place. But there's this cool scene in Berlin. Like a book. Book four starts in Vienna, then it goes to Bratislava, and then it goes to Prague, and then it goes to um, Krakow and Warsaw. But there's this great scene where an agent was sent. There's the resistance mm-hmm. that's against the committee, and there and a resistance agent that was sent to Berlin to this forum in the spring and uh it's it's a it's one of my favorite scenes it's very kind of cold warish feeling and she's been discovered you know because she's been relaying information of what they're doing and what they're planning and stuff and she's like cornered it's really cool so yeah so i um it's all in there <laughs> i love I it very few stones unturned i can't help it because i know it and it fits in the narrative i'm not trying to force it and i'm not um i'm not drowning it out in detail and stuff like that but it's it's there and it's just like and it's really i got some really cool hints in there for those that are that are awake, especially in book two, when they um, when they when they're in uh, Bordeaux at the uh, Rothenburg estate, and one of the uh, Sarah's been kidnapped and taken there, and they rescue her and and they um, implode the whole thing, and it drops at free fall speed. So, That's great. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right before seven. they go, he, <laughs> right, and he goes pull it. Sheldon. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Oh, my gosh. Um, Real quick, uh, over on Rumble, Trisha says, I've been wondering what John Paul Rice has been up to. Does Chad know him? Are you familiar with John Paul Rice? He's another friend of mine who's also a filmmaker. Uh, He made a film a couple of years ago called A Child's Voice. It was about uh, uh, child trafficking. Oh, okay. I, I don't know him, um, but that sounds very familiar. Well, he's a good guy, and uh, I, I certainly yeah. I think maybe uh, you guys could uh, perhaps work together or at least perhaps bounce ideas off each other. Um, oh, great. Yeah, so uh, No Limits, No Limits, or No Reservations Studio. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of his studio, but he's in Georgia. He's actually in Georgia. Um, okay. o- over here on Pilled.net, FilterDog says, uh, Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you as well, my brother. Uh, Sean Joe, thank you for that cookie. Michelle Ann says, Happy New Year, Zach, and thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. <laughs> uh, Sean Joe, thank you very much. Warrior Mima says, uh, Bring back home economics and shop classes in schools. Yeah, that's another thing Agreed. that's kind of followed by the wayside you know and and you were uh, we, we were talking about you know when to educate you know another thing that they no longer teach children is you know how to uh, how to balance a checkbook i mean yep. if you look at congress then uh, you know you would think that nobody ever has to worry <laughs> about how much money they spend at any time because they're just going to print more of it but that's just not how it works in the real world and instead they want you to go out and get a credit card or to take out a, a home equity line of credit or or sell your body on only fans or something like 
like that. I mean, those are the things that they're suggesting kids do. It's um, yeah, it, it, it's a very difficult and dangerous situation. I, a, a guest that I have coming up here in a couple of weeks, actually, she's uh, an expert on uh, child literacy. And she was telling me that uh, like something like 50 percent of the kids who graduate from high school in America right now don't know how to read. And and like the average literacy rate when like in, in adults in America is even higher than or, I mean, excuse me, it's lower than that. Fewer than 50 percent of the adults are adequate readers like they just and that I just don't understand how that could even be in a first world nation, you know, let alone America. No, and those stats are right. And uh, it's interesting because I'm, I'm involved with a, a, a liter- literacy uh, group in San Diego, and we do we go to their benefits and stuff. And that's what I was getting some of those figures. And even for me, for my own research, I was quite staggered. Yeah. And uh, it's a combination of everything. Um, you know, even something as stupid as Twitter. But it's you have to understand all these things aren't designed to connect you. Hmm. They're, they're designed to um, make you stupid. Yeah. Let's just be honest. Uh, Facebook, it's it's to it's to take up your time or to give you a, a false sense of something that you haven't earned, or to depress you when someone doesn't follow back. I mean, it's, it's all of it. It's all a psychological psy- psyop. Mm-hmm. Psyop. So the point is, is like when you're doing Twitter, it's like I can't write and compose sentences. I have to think of little 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 words. Like testing, testing, testing. Can you hear what me? Is- yeah. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so I honestly don't know what's going on, guys. It's like my soundboard just stopped working altogether, and I didn't have any mic. I've got like three different options for microphones on this computer, and (laughs) by all accounts, it should have worked. So I really don't know what's going on. We're essentially at the the end of the the scheduled time, Chad. So, you know, before we lose audio again, um, at the end of the show, I always like to ask my guests, what would you – most like for the audience to take away from our conversation? Yeah, I think um, I think that really just to be to be of good cheer, I think we're at a time of a turning point. Again, it's, there's always two sides to every coin or regardless of how thin it's sliced, there's two sides to it. There's the negative, there's the fear. That's what you know. the enemy lives in. It's fear-based and, and panic. And it's like something over here and something over here. And just focus on what you're called to do and, and do it well and do it do it with exception. I think we're in a creativity revolution right now. I think it's a great call to creatives, great storytellers. It's a great time to be a to be a parent and to raise your kids the best you possibly can and bring as many opportunities to them every single day, every week, regardless of how busy you are, whether it's a library, whether it's a park, whether it's playing with them, whether it's going into a city and looking at architecture, whether it's reading them a book, whether it's reading with them, whether it's you know having game night. Spend that time. Give them those opportunities. Um, that's I mean, everything we're doing right now is focused and, and invested in the next generation of children. That's our beachhead. That's our focus right now. Amen. Um, and we're trying to bring back literacy. You know what I mean? And we're having impact on literacy. And I know that because I receive emails from hundreds of librarians with stories of kids that are reluctant readers, 14, 15, that get a Britfield book and they're reading it. So I'm excited that we're inspiring reading. I'm having kids that are rereading, you know, book one, book two, multiple times. I've had 12 year olds that have read the 400 page book in five hours. Um, And so I'm just one of many, you know what I mean? But it's exciting to be impacting literacy, creativity, family values. And so that's what we're all about. 
Excellent. Well, I think you're doing great work. Um, I actually want to read the books now. They sound like they're pretty sweet. Um, finally, let me say thank you to uh, FilterDog1 over there on Pill.net. I really appreciate it. Uh, and Chad, thank you so much for being here with us tonight, man. Uh, I had a great time speaking with you. Please uh, stay in touch because I want to know how this continues to progress. Uh, and you're always welcome back again in the future. Yeah, and I'd encourage your audience to visit our Britfield website. It's 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 amazing it's got all our books on there it's got our products if you order through there you get signed books i'm still doing that for the next three weeks and then i think i'm going to be too busy excellent to sign books anymore and stuff but i appreciate the time great to talk with you tonight absolutely and if you guys didn't know the link to the britfield website is in the description of this video if you're listening to the audio podcast then you can find it in the description of wherever you're listening to it so thank you for being here tonight guys i'll be back tomorrow night at 9 p.m eastern until that time Good luck and God bless. We'll see you.